Some of you may have thought of some things that others would not classify as worldly. For example, certain forms of entertainment, certain forms of dress or recreation. And if we compiled our answers and made a list, uh, we would probably find that the things that we come up with are things that we do. While that can be helpful in defining worldliness, it doesn't capture everything that God has to say about it. This is because worldliness is oftentimes more subtle than we recognize. In the epistle of James, we have learned that worldliness is spiritual adultery. That is, a love for the world's system, a love for the world's wisdom, a love for the world's values, which is the opposite of love for God. And in our passage today, we will learn that worldliness is not limited to the things that we do. It, is, it also includes the attitude of our heart. James points us to another form of worldliness that may seem to be harmless and innocent on the surface, but in reality is very serious in God's eyes and just as evil as the other things that we've already seen in the book. James wants us to know that a judgmental attitude, that is, a heart that is critical and condemning of others, is sinful in God's eyes. And so it is my desire for us this morning that we would grow in our understanding of worldliness so that we would restrain ourselves from giving in to that which is offensive to God and unloving toward our brothers and sisters. So if you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. Do not judge others because God will judge you. Do not judge others because God will judge you. And in our time together this morning, we will look at two dangers of a judgmental attitude. And then we will wrap up with an exhortation. And these are our three points for today. To judge others is to place yourself above God's commands. To judge God's commands is to usurp his authority. Therefore, do not judge others because God will judge you. And if you missed any of that, don't worry, I will repeat it as we make our way through the passage this morning. And uh, as we start, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to the Epistle of James. And we're going to be reading James chapter 4. And I know your handout says that we would be covering verses four through, uh, 11 through 17, but we're actually going to be just camping out on verses 11 and 12. So this is Godly Speech Part 1. James four eleven and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, it's helpful to remember 
that this chapter started off with a question about where fights and quarrels start among God's people. And James tells us earlier in chapter 4 that the root of the matter is found in man's distorted desires. We see that in verse 1. The symptoms were revealed in their cravings, in their distorted cravings, in their jealousy, in their envy, in their fighting with one another. Apparently, the believers that James was addressing were not getting along and had allowed worldly practices to infiltrate their hearts and therefore the church. As a result, James was concerned with the way that these believers treated one another, so he wrote to them to address it. And in our passage for this morning, we see that James shifts his focus to the, belie- to, to the believers' use of their words in how they treat one another, specifically to warn against sinful criticism and judgment of others in the church. To start, notice what James prohibits We find here a prohibition to not judge others in verse 11. We read, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And here, brothers is referring to brothers and sisters in the church. As Christians, that is, as believers and followers of Jesus, we must not forget that our life is not our own. We were created by God for the purpose of living for God. And as his children, Paul tells us in the New Testament that we were redeemed by God that we would walk in a manner worthy of him and please him in every way. As he wrote to the Colossians. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.21 that we were called by Christ who suffered for us and left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have been called to live a certain way, which means that there are things for us to do, and there are things for us not to do. And if we look at the entire epistle of James, uh, er, earlier on in previous um, sermons, we learned that the letter of James or the epistle of James is a New Testament, New Testament wisdom literature. You can see it that way. Because it holds practical truth for us today on how to live the Christian life. Or in other words, Christian living in a fallen world. And this is why uh, we've been going through these sections um, looking at what does it look like to live like a Christian on this side of heaven. And so there's things for us to do and things for us not to do. And our text today focuses on what we ought not to do. And you see it there in verse 11. James addresses Christians where he writes brothers, meaning brothers and sisters. And he says, do not speak evil against one another. Now, You may ask yourself, what does he mean when he says, speak evil? Some translations say, don't criticize one another. You read that in the CSB. 
Another version, uh, the NIV says, don't slander one another. And still another version, the NASB says, don't speak against one another. And the idea that we get is that we are not to use our words to intentionally hurt or tear down one another, nor defame, nor slander one another in the church. Of course, it also applies to the way that we treat non-believers, but James is saying that especially in the church, we ought not to treat each other this way. We must not use our words to hurt one another. James' focus is, uh, the, is in our Christian testimony, our Christian witness. Now this usually comes by way of a person criticizing and having a judgmental posture towards others. For example, looking down at families in the church who have a different schooling preference than our own, such as homeschooling or public schooling. Or gossiping about someone who has a different posture or view or understanding on tattoos or drinking. It could also look like lying about someone who has offended you. Or talking bad about someone who doesn't share your view about masks and vaccines. James says that we must not speak badly about one another. Because this is evil according to James. Now, where does James get, get this from? Well, we want to remember that James, the James of this epistle, is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he was very familiar with the teachings of Jesus. The New Testament wisdom that James gives us sounds a lot like what Jesus taught in Matthew 7, 1-5. And if you want to turn there... I'm going to read that for us, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, where Jesus taught, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So here Jesus is teaching his followers not to be fault finders, not to be critical of others while overlooking oneself, while overlooking our own spiritual condition. Consider our text for this passage here in James 4. James has been addressing worldliness in the church as evidenced by quarreling, by envy, and lack of humility. And you see that all in verse 4. James wants believers to know that Christians are to use good judgment when using their words. To not use good judgment in what we say leads us to two dangers. And so we come to two dangers that we find in this passage. James continues saying in verse 11, The one who speaks against a brother or, uh, or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So the first danger that we find is to judge others is to place yourself above God's commands. 
To judge others is to place yourself above God's commands. James warns that in speaking evil against other believers, we disobey God's law, and we speak evil of God's law, which in essence is to place oneself above God's word, above his commands, above his law. In the Old Testament, we find that God gave his people laws for how they were to live. And this speaking against his brother is rooted in Leviticus 19, where, where God prohibited his people from using their words to harm their neighbor or uh, uh, um, his people. In Leviticus 19, 16, and 18, we find this. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The law was given by God to his people to forbid them from harming each other, and instead to teach his people and call them to cultivate a heart posture of love towards one another. So James appeals to God's law to remind God's people not to harm one another by incriminating and condemning one another. In choosing to ignore and even violate God's command about how we treat one another, specifically loving one another, James says that such a person is choosing to slip from under God's law and instead place him or herself over it. Placing oneself over God's law is seen in someone picking and choosing which commands to obey and which ones to reject. Brothers and sisters, we must be careful to not do this because you and I have no right to pick and choose which commands we want to obey and which ones we want to disobey. We must see ourselves rightly as those who were created by God to live under God and under His Word. God created us. He has authority to teach us and even to command us in the way that we live. To not do this is to make yourself a judge of God's law by determining for yourself what commands are good and what commands are bad. Because that's what we say when we choose to disobey certain commands. We say, ah, that's not a good law, or God, uh, you're not all wise, my way is better. And so in doing this, we place ourselves over God's word. As I was meditating on this, I was reminded of the decisions that Easy, my son, makes uh, in regards to my commands. It's amazing and awesome to see him grow and develop in his understanding of himself as my son and in his place in this world. But it's also offensive when he willingly chooses to disregard my parental love and authority. For example, there are times that he gladly obeys my commands to get ready for bath time, 
he'll quickly run and grab his toys and takes his clothes off and he's ready to jump in to the tub. Or when it's time to go out for a stroll, he'll quickly grab his shoes, put them on, he'll gladly obey. But there are other times when he willingly chooses to disregard my command to put his toys away or to give up the iPad because his time with it is up. Now it's one thing for him to disobey, but it's another when he looks straight at me and he says, no, it's mine. And then he proceeds to hug it so as to not give it to me because he's choosing to disobey me. And in those moments, I think to myself, you little sinner. Right? In doing so, he places himself over me as the authority that God has placed over his life. Now, do you see the problem? God has called me to be his authority, Erica and myself, right? But, and this, this call to be his authority is a call to love him and to guide him so that he would live his life in the knowledge of the Lord and in the obedience of the Lord. Presumably, my commands are for his good and never to harm him. But in those moments when he chooses what commands to obey, he makes himself the authority which is unwise, dangerous, and sinful. It's unwise because of his lack of understanding of what is good for him. Left to himself, he would play with his toys or watch Monster Truck or Blippy all day long. It's dangerous because in choosing for himself what he wants to do, he can hurt himself, right? Maybe even kill himself. It's sinful because he's going against God's command to obey his parents. In doing so, he is rejecting God's word and making himself a judge over it. Brothers and sisters, this is what we do when we choose to judge or speak evil of others. We set ourselves as superior to God's word. This is the way the world lives. Though they know God in their heart, they do not honor him nor give thanks, but they are futile in their thinking and foolish hearts are darkened, according to what Paul tells us in Romans twelve, in Romans one twenty one. The world rejects God. The world rejects God's word. This is what you and I did before God saved us. We rejected God's word and placed ourselves over it by doing what we thought to be wise and better for our lives rather than God. But now that we are saved, we must not do that any longer because we are not of the world. We belong to King Jesus. Because God has spoken in his word, we must live our lives under God's word, which is our authority in all of life. Not just some of our life, not just on Sundays, but all seven days, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Our life is to be lived under 
God's word under his authority. Practically speaking, it means that we obey God's word by being merciful toward our brothers and sisters, by not criticizing or using our speech to harm one another. The next thing we see is that in rejecting God's word by placing ourselves above God's commands, we take a role or position to exercise authority that does not belong to us. That is, we usurp God's authority and role as a judge. And we see that in um, verse 11 and 12. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. The, uh, the, the Bible is filled with examples and pictures uh, of what this looks like. And one of the examples that we're given is found in the Gospel of Matthew. In... Uh, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you find this in Luke 18, 9-14. Uh, and list, listen to this passage because I think it pictures what James is getting at very well. Luke 18, 9-14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is what James is getting at. At a heart posture that is condemning of others. Of someone who takes God's role, who sits on his judgment seat and says, Ha ha, alright, I'm in charge. I get to declare who is righteous and who is not righteous. And of course, as we see with the Pharisee, he trusted in himself. He trusted in his own works. He trusted in the things that he did. I give of all my tithes. I pray. I fast. I do this. I do that. And so because of that, I'm righteous. He was looking to the things that he did. But notice that Jesus says, he tells this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. This is the kind of heart posture that James is getting at. James is getting at a heart posture that takes on God's authority and condemns others. 
James reminds us that there is only one lawgiver and judge. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's not us. Even though we take on that role when we treat others with contempt, when we speak evil of others, when we think evil thoughts of others, when we judge maliciously in our minds or in our hearts, God as the creator, he has authority over man and over all creation. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, some people question this, asking, why does God get to be the authority over everything? Why is God wanting to be or demanding to be the authority over my life? Well, the reason that we find in Scripture is that God alone is the Lord. He is the one who created man, men and women, in His image. He is the one who created everything. God is the Father of mankind and the Creator of all. And as such, He has authority over us. God has given man the standards of living and He possesses the authority to hold man accountable. This is a truth that we all must internalize, that we must not forget, that we must remember and believe. Because God is the authority in every area of life, we must make sure that we know what His Word says and strive to obey Him. Right? It's important for us to get to know what God requires of us. But it's not enough to just get to know what He requires of us. We must also make the effort to obey what He requires of us. Because remember what James told us earlier in, in his epistle, that it's not the hearers of the word who are justified, it's the doers. So it's not enough to just know God's word. It's not enough to just come on Sundays and to hear God's word. That doesn't justify us. Right? We're told that demons believe. And they even tremble. But they're not justified. They're not saved. Because they don't obey. They don't submit their lives to Christ. So it's not enough to just know. We must also obey We also need to be mindful of the different philosophies and beliefs in our culture and world that reject God's authority over us. Because you and I live in this culture, and it's all around us. Our culture, the world, its philosophies, its wisdom, its way of living, its way of thinking, is one that is pushing God farther, further and further away that doesn't want anything to do with God, doesn't want God to, do any, to, to, to have anything to say over our lives. And so we must be aware of those lies because they are everywhere. 
They're in the things that we watch on TV and the things that we listen to. They're in the different um, things that are um, uh, held out to us when we go out. So we have to be aware of these things. And the only way to confront these false teachings or these um, wrong beliefs is by being familiar with what God desires and what God calls us to live by. And we also must be ready to respond by speaking the truth in love. We must be ready to actually live what we believe. This is foundational for life in God's world. And contrary to popular belief that one can choose their purpose for living, the Bible teaches us that we were created by God and we are called to live under His authority. Brothers and sisters, God is good. His commands are good. They're not burdensome. They're for our good. And because of His great love for us, we should extend the mercy that we have received from, from Him to others and abstain from passing sinful judgment on our brothers and our sisters, on our neighbors. We should seek to live to point others to Him and to His Word, not to ourselves and our opinions, not to our preferences, but to His Word. We are to submit to Him because... It is not only good, but it is what is best for us. This leads us to the exhortation. Do not judge others because God will judge you. As we have seen in verse 11, we're called to not speak evil against one another because the one who speaks evil against a brother judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, James says, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We've seen that God is our authority. And this puts us in a predicament. The predicament is that we are all guilty before God. Paul writes in Romans 14, Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So Paul reminds us here that we're all going to have to give an account for every sinful judgment that we make against our brothers and our sisters. And the reward or the compensation for this, the Bible says, is death. Because we have violated God's command, we deserve to be separated from Him. Listen to Jesus' words from Luke 12, 4 and 5, where He says, I tell you, my friends... Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed 
has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And here, of course, he's talking to us about the Father, God. If you're visiting us today and you know yourself not to be a Christian, we want you to know that we're happy that you're with us today. You're an answer to prayer. Our passage for today presents a truth that calls us to respond by submitting our lives to God and to His Word. Maybe you know yourself to be someone who passes judgment on others based on your preferences, based on your wisdom, based on your morality. In doing so, the Bible says that you have usurped the place of God and you've disregarded His command. And as we just read in Luke 12, the payment or the reward or the compensation for doing this is death, and death even in a place called hell. It's an eternal place. But notice what James tells us about God in verse 12. Yes, he is the only lawgiver and judge, but he is also the one who is able to save and to destroy. The good news is that God in his kindness, knowing that we were guilty, knowing that we deserve to be judged for every sin that we've ever committed, sent his son into this world who never sinned, who always obeyed God the Father, who always used his words for good and never for evil. He came so that he would be judged, though he was sinless. And he was judged not for his sin because he had no sin. He was judged for the sins of everyone who repents and places their trust in him. It is the innocent letting himself be judged for the guilty. And it is this Lord and Savior Jesus who calls us then to repent of our sins and to put our trust in him. Because to not do that is to be waiting judgment which will lead to destruction. But to repent of our sins and to trust in Him by submitting our lives to Him, by submitting our lives to His Word, will lead to free salvation, free and full forgiveness of sins that cannot be bought, that cannot be earned, which is only received by faith, by taking God at His, at his Word. If He says it, you believe it. And this is why the Gospel is such good news. Because He doesn't call us to go fix our lives and then come. He says, believe, repent and believe and you will be saved. For us as Christians today, our confidence is not in the fact that we don't judge. Our confidence is not in the fact that we obey God perfectly. Our confidence is not in the things that we do. Our confidence is in Jesus, the one who was condemned by taking our place on the cross to pay for our penalty. With his life, he paid for our sins. And so, this frees us then to want to love our neighbors, not to earn God's righteous, the righteous standing that God requires of us, but it frees us to abstain from 
using our words to hurt our brothers and our sisters out of love for God because of the way that He has treated us. And so, brothers and sisters, there is good news that as we trust in Jesus and we turn to Him and we humble ourselves, He gives us more grace, as it says in in verse 6. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We can turn to God, trusting that we are covered in Christ if we turn to him in faith. Now, does this mean, then, that we should never judge? Right? Should we... What what should we do with that? Because it's very popular to hear, only God can judge me. Right? Or to misuse, don't judge lest you be judged. Well, oftentimes, people use this as a means of protecting themselves from being judged righteously. But the Bible tells us that there is a righteous judgment that we ought to make. And I won't read these today, but... I'll give you the passages and you can read them later on. God calls God's people to make judgments in the church. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1-5 for example, we find a case of a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. It wasn't his biological mom, it was his father's wife. And Paul calls the church to make a judgment and to even kick this man out or to excommunicate him because his lifestyle was not in accordance with the life of a Christian or with God's word. And so there is there then a judgment being made, right? Discerning sin and then doing something about it. Not because one is offended, but because it's a violation of God's word and it protects God's people. It protects the church. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, we're called to be fruit examiners. We're called to examine fruit. We're called to make judgments. And in Matthew 7, along with, for example, the book of Jude, Galatians, and other passages in the New Testament, we're called to judge teachers or to make judgments between false teachers and Godly teachers. Because this is how we discern what we receive and, that, and therefore obey and what we reject. Right? The prohibition that James is talking about is a sinful judgment that comes from a critical sinful heart that condemns others as wrong and sinful. It is to take God's role and to condemn others. This is something that does not pertain to us It is something that only belongs to God and that He will execute perfectly on Judgment Day. And so, James today then, he calls us, he calls us to not put ourselves above God's commands by judging others. Because when we do so, we usurp His authority. Therefore, abstain from judging others sinfully because God will judge you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, 
We praise you because you are a righteous judge. You know all things. Your judgments are pure. Your judgments are holy. Your judgments are good. And so, Lord, we take comfort in this because we know that every judgment that you make is perfect. And we acknowledge that we have sinned against you. We acknowledge that we have fallen short. And we praise you because you have not falsely judged us or inaccurately judged us. On the cross, you have judged us for what we deserve. But we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. That he gave his life for ours that we would not have to die. We praise you because in your love you've given him for us. And now we are freed to live lives as Christians in this fallen world by loving one another, specifically with our words, so that we would testify to the watching world what it is to live as citizens of your kingdom, as children of a good judge. We pray that you would enable us to use our words for good, that you would help us to use our words, that our words would always be seasoned with salt, ready to uplift and to point people to your word and not to tear down and to condemn. We pray that you would do this for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.